So what is a loophole? Now, I'm, I'm talking about using this in, the, in its literal sense. We'll get to the figurative sense and the meaning. What literally is a loophole? See, most of the time we think of it in the, literal, in the figurative sense. When I think of a literal loophole, I think of, you know, the hole in the middle that's made when you twist rope or yarn or string. Like, you know, when you take your shoestring and make a loop out of it, that in the middle is a loophole. Or when you take a rope and like Boy Scouts and make a twist in it to learn how to tie a knot, you know, make a twist in the rope, take the other end, put it through the loophole, around the rope, back through the loophole, and pull it tight. To me, that was literally a loophole. That is, until I did some research, this is the original loophole. Yeah, it's the slit in the wall of a castle or a fortress through which they shot guns and arrows at the enemy. I didn't know that was the name for that structure. Now you know, too. Of course, today we hardly ever use loophole in its literal sense. It's almost always used figuratively. Marion Dictionary says a loophole is a way of escaping, especially a way of avoiding a law or a regulation. It seems like uh, people used to use uh, those loopholes in the castle wall to escape in a tight situation. They would squeeze through them and escape the castle. Now, I couldn't do that. They're way too small for me to do that. But since that time, loophole has taken on the meaning of escaping, circumventing, sidestepping, avoiding uh, a law or regulation, uh, maybe uh, due to ambiguous or vague words, something like this. Oh, if only they would have had a hyphen in there, that would have cleared up any confusion. Satan is the well, most of the time we uh, um, attach loopholes with lawyers, right? They're the ones looking for the vague words that they can exploit, uh, the ambiguous wording, trying to help their clients pay less taxes or uh, get off on a technicality. But Satan was actually the original loophole user, uh, using it as a temptation. He suggested to Eve, well, did God say that you couldn't eat of any tree in the Garden of Eden? And Eve was like, no, not any tree, just one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan planted a seed of doubt at that time. And then he said, well, you know, if you eat of that tree, you're not going to die for, the time, for when you eat of it, you'll know good and evil like God. In other words, Satan was saying to Eve, God is keeping you down. He's not letting you be all that you could be. Look, you can get out from under his thumb. The tree is a loophole. You eat the fruit of that tree and you will be like God. And since that day, people have been looking for loopholes. But the words of Genesis 2.17 don't seem very unclear, vague, or ambiguous to me. God said, 
But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And yet, somehow, Satan twists that in our minds, in Adam and Eve's minds, so that we look for ways to escape loopholes so that humans are not held accountable for their sin. People say things like, it's your fault, God. You should have known that they would have eaten that fruit from the tree. And by the way, it's not an apple. We have St. Jerome to blame for that because when Jerome translated the Hebrew into the Latin Vulgate, he used the Latin word malum, which as a noun means apple, but malum as an adjective means bad or evil. So artists since that time have been painting it as apple, but it's not really an apple. It just says fruit of the tree. But you got to admit, that's pretty clever translation, isn't it? Because the apple did bring evil into the world. Anyway, Adam blames God. You know, you gave me the woman. It's not my fault. Or Eve blames the serpent. He deceived me. It's not my fault. And we still do today. Many people say it's not our fault. We're being punished for the sin of Adam and Eve. But God doesn't allow that. He holds us accountable. Loopholes abound, but we, we are not allowed to escape from those loopholes at all. God holds us accountable. He doesn't allow us to blame other people. I found a news article (laughs) written by a law professor who rewrote sections of Genesis 2 and 3 um, in legalese to try to clear up any ambiguous music or uh, any ambiguous words. I thought that was kind of funny, so I had to share this with you. This is the way he put it. He said, the Lord God took man and placed, located, deposited, planted, thrust, and cast him into the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the man was hereby ordered by the Lord God, supreme judge, district of heaven, you may freely eat of the trees of the garden, and so may your heirs, assignees, devises, and successors in interest. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall die. Or words substantially similar, and God's words were not mere dicta, but they were the law of the case. Then he says, now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature but the, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, you shall not die if you eat of the tree which is in the midst of the garden. For God knows or purports to know that when you eat of it, you will be like God, knowing or purporting to know good and evil. And the serpent's words were rank hearsay, and no exception was apparent, but Eve made no objection. And the man and the woman ate the forbidden fruit. And the man and the woman heard the sound of what appeared to be the Lord God walking in the garden. And the Lord God stated, who told you that you were naked? Or words to that effect. And the man said, I wish to bring a third party action against the woman who is at fault. And the woman stated, I wish to bring a third party action against the wily serpent who is at fault. But the Lord God would have none of it refusing to permit contribution among joint tort feasors. And the Lord God entered judgment against the serpent, the woman, and the man, who are to this day paying costs plus interest, 
not to mention attorney's fees. Well, that was a clever way of, of putting that. But it gets us to the point, right, that um, God doesn't allow us to look or use loopholes. I mean, look at our text. What is the primary indicator that Adam and Eve knew that they broke God's law, that they had sinned? They hid themselves, right? They felt guilt. They felt shame. They knew right from wrong. They knew good and evil. They lost their innocence. They started making excuses, started looking for loopholes. That's the way, if, you, if a person starts making excuses and looking for loopholes, that's a good indicator that they are guilty. But since that time, we have always been looking for loopholes because of the guilt and shame of breaking God's law in us. I mean, even our text today from Genesis 3 here, biblical scholars have been looking for loopholes all along the way there, hoping to find some way to lessen our guilt. You know, um, and, and, and so God does not allow that to happen. We know guilt. We know shame. We can't escape it. That's the way God made us. He gave each of us a conscience. Oh, we're good at uh, um, deluding ourselves. We're good at duping ourselves and thinking, ah, it's not a sin at all. Um, it's okay. Um, we're good at deceiving ourselves, even telling others, this is not sin at all anymore. Uh, we're smarter than we used to be. But deep down, our deep conscience will not let us go. And that guilt and shame builds up in us so that we have to get rid of it. And we blame God. We blame others. We look for loopholes and excuses. But God does not allow that. He did not allow Adam and Eve to blame others. He did not allow Adam to blame Eve or Eve to blame the devil. He says, you have sinned. You ate the fruit I told you not to eat. He held Adam and Eve accountable as he holds us accountable. Oh, we may think that uh, we're getting by with it. Oh, sin, it's not causing me any problems right now. Um, life's pretty good for me. But sin has a way of catching up to us. So that, though that sin and that guilt builds up within us and we lash out at people or something, more likely because of the pent-up guilt within us. God is holy. He will not hold us unaccountable. He does not hold the sinner guiltless. That is illustrated by the judgment that he meted out on the serpent, on Eve, and on Adam. Oh, Adam and Eve, after they ate the fruit, they certainly knew good from evil but not in the way that they expected. You see, that phrase in Hebrew, knowing good and evil, has to do with judging. 
A judge is the arbiter of right and wrong. So when Adam and Eve ate the fruit, they made themselves judges rather than relying on the one true judge for them. And in so doing, there was a problem. Adam and Eve were not holy. Adam and Eve did not have the knowledge and perfection of God. Oh, Satan was right. They were like God, but they certainly did not become God. God held them accountable as he holds us accountable. But he does so for a specific reason. He does so so that we may despair of our power, our ability to save ourselves. He holds us accountable so that we can so that we would despair of our inability not to sin. He holds us accountable so that we will repent and return to him. Unlike humans who hold others accountable sometimes for nefarious reasons, you know, like to shame them and humiliate them, to illustrate to someone that I'm still better than you are, to punish other people, God holds us accountable not for those nefarious reasons, but so that we will return and repent. If God had not held Adam and Eve accountable, do you think they would have repented and returned to God? God holds us accountable so that we will return to him because in him alone do we find healing. God's mercy is the cure for guilt, the healing for shame. It's the only way to be restored to the image of God. Throughout this penitential season of Lent, our lessons focus on him who is our healer, the one who forgives, restores, and renews us. God held Jesus accountable for our sin. Those who believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will then, on Judgment Day, not hear God say to them, you shall surely die. Jesus has died for us. We, instead, will be received into our eternal kingdom ministered to by the angels, just as the angels ministered to Jesus after his 40 days in the wilderness. I mean, even St. John in his revelation reflects that imagery, that the angels of God's presence will on that day rescue his church, his believers, those who have survived the wilderness of this life, and welcome them into their eternal home. Stop looking for loopholes. Come to the Lord Jesus 
and hear his clear words of absolution. Your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. No vague or ambiguous words there. 